This is Socrates and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 182 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, as always, and I'm joined by Lars Poyman for yeah, what will be maybe a little bit of a strange episode. Hello, Lars. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stefan. Uh, strange or somber, whatever it is, uh, still excited to talk to you. Yeah, that is, uh, of course, always exciting to talk to you, Lars. So, um, yeah, we have a couple of things to talk about in, in in this episode though Lars and I already said before the podcast that it will probably not be the longest one we'll be uh, back on Thursday with a little bit of a more elaborate show nevertheless we of course have to talk about the uh, horrific murder attempt on Borussia Dortmund which uh, took place on Tuesday the Champions League and the Bundesliga um, Lars First things first, and uh, yeah, I hate to ask you this question, but um, do you think the the murder attack uh, got the attention and and the uh, outrage that it maybe deserved? It certainly got all the attention uh, around the football world. I think it was the most talked about sub subject for basically an entire news cycle, uh, and I guess that's the the kind of attention such an attack is uh or is the target of such an attack uh for whatever group of people who have done it which is something we don't know about just yet um certainly uh, one of the i don't know if we can call it positive but the togetherness of the football community uh, and the output of support towards Dortmund was certainly something I guess we can call it positive to see or at least nice to see that they weren't left alone in it, even though, uh, as we are surely going to talk about the uh, rescheduling for, of the game and how that came about and the role of UEFA in that all put a, put a bit of a dent in the whole uh, we're one big family uh, togetherness of the football community. Yeah, especially, you know, if you write respect on your crest and, and whatnot, um, with, uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll get to this later. I think, uh, we have to say that, I mean, when the news broke, there were some news outlets. I think Marka even said there was only a firecracker and, uh, at first it only looked as though Mark Bartra was only superficially injured and uh, yeah, only later we found out that it was actually an attempt to kill the, the people inside the bus and uh, yeah, the reports say today and I think that's that's pretty obvious that had the uh, explosion or the, the bombs uh, if they detonated a couple of split seconds or a second earlier they would have hit the bus in full force and in the middle of 
of the, the side of the bus and uh, yeah that probably could have uh, resulted in actual casualties and fatalities and then more or serious in more serious injuries and uh, yeah that only tells us how severe it is i mean i had a pit in my stomach at least until the next day uh, i think that was pretty shocking for everyone last um Let's first talk maybe about how it was handled in the stadium while it wasn't quite clear uh, what happened and, and when the game would uh, be rescheduled and, and whatnot. I think around the stadium it was handled rather professionally because there was no sense of panic or anything. Well, uh, Stefan, you were there. I wasn't. I was actually lying in my bed for the whole ordeal because I was sick all week and I uh, remember distinctly waiting for the um, team news to come out and then the first reports came and I think Dortmund tweeted something like we had an accident, one person was injured so everybody kind of thought uh, maybe they had like run, uh, run over somebody and then uh, as the minutes went by on and on came the uh, the new reports about uh, that it was actually an attack and then someone said uh, explosions had taken place and all that so The, the news kind of trickled uh, trickled out slowly uh, for me, you know, a, a couple hundred kilometers away. Uh, it was surreal for me. I, I can't even uh, imagine how it was in the stadium just to learn of, of these horrific things. And then I guess, as you said earlier, we really only learned how horrific they were maybe a day later or a few hours at least later. So... Um, I know that everybody who was in the stadium and uh, I think security officials and team officials and everyone, all, they all said that it was handled very well inside the stadium and that both fan groups also took it really well. And uh, I mean, obviously, uh, without all the information uh, in the stadium, uh, a game being abandoned can cause some uh, trouble with fans who wanted to see the game. I mean, especially away fans who... Uh, weren't sure whether they'd be able to watch the game uh, in Dortmund because they didn't really announce it right away when it was going to be played. So I think it was important uh, that everybody remained calm. And uh, as you said, it was it seemed uh, it was handled rather well uh, all around. Yeah, I talked to, to a couple of Monaco fans outside the stadium on, on Tuesday night and asked them, you know, how they see the situation. And most of them uh, said they couldn't go to the game the next day. Uh, but their understanding of the situation and uh, yeah i asked like four or five different fans just to get a general vibe and, I, and they all said the same so i i assume you know the the atmosphere was uh, yeah very calm and serene as you, as you said um and i think that also more or less leads us to to the point uh, you said that uh, you know the information about what really happened basically came the next day however of course the decision of the postponement of the postponement happened i think an hour after the attack give or take um and yeah thomas tuchel said he only read texts by the that the decision was made uh last do you know if it was made by uefa by the club officials by both uh who do you think eventually made that call that the game would take place the next day so the the ultimate decision always lies with uefa as the governing body of the competition and 
if uh, no agreement had uh, been reached. I don't know that one has been reached, uh, in fact, because the, the entire circumstances are a bit murky still. Um, but if for some reason the two clubs, for example, can't uh, agree on something, uh, then UEFA as the govern governing body of the competition has the ultimate decision to make. And in this case, I'm pretty sure that UEFA and officials of both clubs and probably police or security officials as well they, I mean, we know that they talked inside the stadium. There's a, uh, a crisis room or whatever you want to call it in uh, English. And they, they certainly had a talk. And from the way it was announced during the police press conference late on Tuesday, uh, my assumption is that UEFA made the final call, but that all parties more or less agreed on it. Um, now, uh, reports today, or may have been yesterday, from uh, German newspaper Welt and Le Keep, a, a French sports paper, uh, suggests that uh, Hans-Joachim Watzke, Dortmund CEO, tried to uh, get the game rescheduled for April 26th, uh, when both Monaco and Dortmund play cup games, um, and that Monaco said no to that proposition because they didn't want to relinquish the right of having the second leg at their home stadium. So that would uh, then lead me to assume that Dortmund tried to work out another uh, date for the game. It didn't work out and then probably so everybody could say it was a unanimous decision. Uh, they said, okay, if if our plan doesn't work, then we'll, we'll go ahead with what UEFA will, would, would decide on their own anyway. So um, I think just in general, uh, the fact that nobody cared to ask the team and staff or anybody who was actually afflicted, affected by the attack. Uh, and that that in itself is a huge problem and shows the brutality of the business that football has become. And also the one of the bigger issues to me also is the fact that, as you said, the decision was made so hastily. I mean, I think Mark Bartra was... Uh, uh, was probably not even diagnosed at the moment when they al had already announced when the game was going to take place. And uh, as we talked about before, the most of the circumstances and how uh, close they really came to, I mean, we have to say it, they came to dying, at least a few of them, uh, those circumstances were only made public uh, a day later. So maybe UEFA and, and the clubs would have made a different decision had they talked about it on Wednesday, but obviously uh, I mean, I can also appreciate the, the need for a swift rescheduling. I mean, there are pretty close time constraints and all that, and there's a lot of money involved now. Uh, as I said, the, the problem is that nobody asked the players and that speaks to a lack of humanity, but uh, I mean... Maybe we can't even expect that much nowadays in the business that is football. Yeah, I think we should expect that uh, certain amount of humanity. And, uh, you know, I, for myself, would have liked, you know, I can understand, as you said, that they made a very hasty decision. And, uh, you know, but at least I think they could have reconsidered the next day with more information at hand. You know, it's it's still just a football game, you know, if if it's postponed, people from Monaco just miss a football game. It's not that bad, you know. It could have been bad weather, heavy snow or or heavy rain or whatever, and uh, they had to postpone it. But apparently, they cannot do that for a murder attempt, and that is very sickening to me. 
and uh, so I'm I'm a bit appalled, and yeah, I I actually think it's a bit scandalous as well that the players never were asked, and uh, yeah, Socrates said in the mix zone then that they felt treated like animals and not like humans, and then I think that sums it up perfectly that you just feel like stock, and I think last you pointed out how I think Schmelzer, Socrates, Shine, and everyone had to point out that they are still humans, although leading a privileged life. And uh, yeah, that speaks for itself almost. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't want to make it sound like uh, I understood the decision. I just understand the, the process uh, and the, the difficulties the decision makers had here. I mean, uh, as I wrote in my commentary for yellowwallpot.com, I'm absolutely appalled as well that the game took place as it did, uh, simply because nobody asked the the men and women who were attacked. Uh, but uh, as I said, I can understand that the predicament uh, decision makers were in here. I think it was just a very tough to, uh, situation for everyone involved. And I mean, uh, if something good can come of uh, an attack like this, is uh, might be the fact that uh, the processes will now be under uh, more scrutiny going forward. And maybe uh, UEFA can learn something from this and, perhaps uh, not be pushed into hasty decisions as they were here. Yeah, one can only hope so um, because, you know, there's not really a protocol for this, apparently. I, I mean, why would there? But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very, very sad world. And, uh, yeah, I, I, for one, I'm also very sad that how many speculations around the attack, you know, came out rather quickly and and uh yeah still ongoing we at at this point still don't know who are who the perpetrators are and and what their motive is behind the attack so um yeah we of course will not speculate here because that's futile let the police investigate and hope they uh find the leads and or you know eventually the perpetrators yeah take off your tinfoil hats please people it's annoying and uh degrading really because it's work of the police and and to speculate is to uh almost minimize what actually happened here i mean uh as as we we've said a few times now the people were tried to uh, or people tried to murder a football team uh, and that's not something that should lead you to speculate about uh, whoever did it but just to feel uh, very close to the football team you support and nothing else. Yeah, that is very true. Lars, I have a question though, because I'm not really sure. I've read that, uh, the, the, you know, high ranking politicians in Germany actually more or less exuded some pressure for the game to take place in order, in quote unquote, not to bend down. Uh, in, in, in front of terrorism, not to cave in. I, I don't know if, if that was actually said, uh, to Watzke and, and so on while the decision for the postponement was made or not. Um, if so, you know, I'm pretty sure Borussia Dortmund do not cave in front of terrorism if, if the game happens a week or two weeks or even a, one day more later. Um, Lars, can you confirm this? <laughs> Can I confirm? Obviously, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not that close to the Minister of Interior and uh, the Chancellor and whoever. I mean, 
Uh, Watzke is relatively close to some of those people because he's in the same political party, but I mean, uh, with the decision being made within the hour after the attack, I don't think there's much time for politicians to, uh, make their influence count or whatever. But, uh, I, I mean, the, the thing about, uh, this game taking place as a signal for freedom and liberty and, and all that crap, I mean, if Watzke really said that to the players, he is much dumber than than uh, he should be, and he probably is in normal life because uh, players don't respond well to uh, that kind of emotional overload, especially while still under shock after suffering from such an attack. So, uh, I mean, Watzke told uh, German media before the game on Wednesday that he did say that, but it may just have been him, you know, wanting to make a point to the media uh, about, um, you know, the the general significance of the game. I think uh, the so many have talked about and, and written in Germany that uh, it was important the game would took, take place as a sign of the way towards uh, normality and all that, but I think the uh, the more important game in, in terms of normality was probably the one taking place in Munich under normal circumstances without uh, any heightened on, or uh, security levels or anything. They just played a game of football and lost against Real Madrid, and that was the game that was important for society. I think the game in Dortmund uh, should have been all about uh, the Dortmund players and, and staff and whoever else was on the bus, and it sadly wasn't. Yeah, certainly. Um, there is one confirmed statement, though, and I, I think that's the sickest of them all. And that was uh, from the future FIFA's chief in security. Um, and he, he said that basically they, they would have not played the game if there were deadly casualties. And uh, his name is Helmut Spahn. There, there it is. Oh. I, I had to look it up. Sorry. Um, Helmut Spahn is a dick. Okay. We can we can say that he confirmed that now future security chief of FIFA uh, was the chief of security of the German of uh, of the World Cup in 2006 uh, or or you know one of the leading staff members of the German FA. So yeah, he's not new to the matters of security apparently, but you know, I think Roman Bürki was pretty on point, just saying that it was just appalling to hear that you know because that's that's just what it is and uh, yeah it's it's very very cynical so i i hope he himself learns from that as well anyway um i think we've we've talked enough about this as gruesome as it is i think we can also look a little bit about the positive Signs coming out of this, you you uh, said it yourself earlier on. Uh, the unity shown by by uh, foot, but the, by the football community. Um, I think the hashtag bad for away fans certainly was a was a really nice uh, movement and a sign of solidarity and uh, much better represents the democracy and and freedom and whatnot we live in and and uh, that people you know basically embody our values rather than that the football match taking place in another day but maybe that's just me um last way you moved by by the uh, whole bad for away fans uh thing no i 
I mean, I I didn't think it was moving as much as it was just an an awesome thing of people to do to to think about that to think about away fans on a day when uh something happened to the team you love yourself uh and to have the uh awareness for other people in that situation wasn't really moving to me as much as it, as I just thought uh what a brilliant idea and what what great people the city of Dortmund has yeah and people uh, from around Dortmund I think that uh you know transcended the borders of Dortmund the action there were even people getting involved who don't care about football <laughs> So yeah, very very nice all that. Um last do you want to talk about the three two loss that Dortmund yeah suffered against Monaco then eventually? Yeah, uh we I think we can keep it short. Uh Dortmund was superb in the second half. Very, very unlucky with actually all three goals because the first one was a yard of sight and I still don't know how the assistant ref didn't see it. Second one, uh, more difficult to see, but, uh, one of the best refs in the world. And, you know, the Champions League quarterfinal is usually refed by, uh, one of the best refs in the world. Can probably see Falcao's, uh, yeah, what is it? He stepped on Bender's foot and messed up his timing. So the own goal presumably wouldn't have happened without it. And then the third goal, I mean, just a brain fart by Lukas Piszczek. Uh, I mean, that can happen, but. If that's the third goal you concede on uh, in a Champions League, uh, even under normal circumstances, you know it's not not your day. And then, of course, this time around with what happened the day before and the general feeling of uneasiness on the pitch, uh, I think we can all just be very proud of the way the team reacted in the second half. And I, for one, uh, am very uh, proud of the team for the fact that they are still in the tie. I mean... Uh, It's not in, not exactly an ideal situation for the second leg, but a 2-3 means a, a win with two goals difference uh, gets them through. And I think we saw that Monaco have a lot of exciting attacking talent, but they are definitely to crack defensively. Now Marco Reus should be available for the second leg, so uh, I don't think it's inconceivable that Dortmund win the second leg 3-1 and still make the semifinal. So for that to be... To be even an option uh, after what happened on Tuesday and under the, the kind of shock they must have played on, on Wednesday is really testament to the team's character and, and really also quality of both uh, the men on the pitch and uh, Thomas Tuchel as the head coach. Yeah, certainly we uh, are yet to mention Thomas Tuchel, but I think he has said a lot of right things in the, in the last couple of days and uh, he was, uh, yeah very serene and and him talking out against UEFA and the decision being made the way it was made was uh, very very good to hear that he was standing up for himself and and the players and the entire team basically and uh, yeah very calm collected and I, I think that really really helped everyone and uh, yeah Dortmund of course lucky in the first half that uh, Monaco missed the penalty and in the second half as you said uh, the body language and and everything looked very very changed the way they came out in the first 50 minutes of the second period they they really pushed monaco you know deep into their own half and and uh, it looked as though dortmund would equalize and get back into the game then of course the uh, 3-1 happened but dortmund still held on and uh, i think both goals dortmund scored were fairly nice uh, your 
two cents on uh, Nuri Shine and uh, Christian Pulisic coming on at halftime? Yeah, I think we've seen Pulisic have an, a huge impact off the bench uh, a few times this season. I think he's currently more comfortable coming off the bench even though he assisted the first goal against Frankfurt uh, on Saturday as a starter, but I think he does better against uh, opponents that are starting to get tired, uh, perhaps uh, does better when Toho can give him a hint or two about what uh, his uh, opponent, um, usually at left-back for the opposing team, struggles with on the day. I think uh, he's just doing better as a sub and he was really awesome in this game, and then Nuri Shahin basically coming out of nowhere. I think he had played like eight minutes before that in 2017 and really only played a few uh, minutes here and there in 2016 or in the first half of the season uh, two, so coming really from pretty much nowhere to, to bossing a Champions League quarterfinal uh, against a decent enough opponent in Monaco too uh, was really encouraging. Then They both started against Frankfurt, so don't expect to see Shine in the starting 11 now on Wednesday, but uh, it's certainly nice to see that there's uh, life yet in the old dog. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Also some life in Sven Bender, who made his season debut after... Nah, he played he against uh, Cologne, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, I think he, he certainly pl uh, might have played in two or three games, but it was... Uh, for him as well, the the 2017 debut, let's say. Oh yeah, yeah, this yes, yeah. There there was some debut in there. Um, Sven Banner constantly injured. I certainly cannot keep up. Yeah, he's um, injured right now as well, or at least doubtful with some muscle problems. I mean, we all assumed that uh, he and Royce were taken off against Frankfurt uh, as a precaution for Wednesday, but uh, only for Royce. That's what that was the case. Bender had some muscle problems. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that's that's uh, always always troubling. Um, we are yet to talk about Mark Bartra, who of course will be out for four weeks. Lars, how bad is that for Dortmund in every sense? I mean, uh, under these circumstances, every every injury was absolutely devastating uh, because it, it it wasn't suffered in training or on the pitch, but in a cowardly attack. So. Uh, I mean, in, in a in a strange sense, it, uh, it it was almost good that it uh, that it was Bartra because he's such a positive, optimistic person. So he's the he's one uh, player who will certainly uh, overcome this just because of his uh, positive personal attitude. But as a player, he's going to be a huge miss because he was really awesome for almost the entirety of 2017. Uh, struggled a bit when Socrates was out uh, and he played next to Matthias Ginter, but uh, that goes for most players in the world. Um, and then especially uh, now that the games get all the more important, uh, having Bartra in there instead of uh, Bender, who struggles on the ball and just doesn't have the, the match practice this season. Uh, or Matthias Ginter just for reasons uh, that Ginter is still Ginter and always good for a laps here and there. Uh, I mean, Bartram would make a huge difference, but he's not available, so they will have to make do with what they got. I mean, for all the shit we give Ginter all the time, he was pretty decent in the second half against Monaco when he played centre-back. He was all right against Frankfurt as a centre-half, so should be should be okay. Yeah, for what it's worth, I was actually impressed by how Banner came back and uh, 
how mature he looked at 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 some stages in, in the game just that he looked a bit comfortable when when uh you know being pressured that he just sometimes you know let the ball just pass an an attacker rushing towards him I, I thought it was uh yeah pretty pretty good to see because some uh players who who come back from injury you know they underestimate the pace of the game but uh yeah Bender obviously having enough experience in coming back from injuries so uh yeah it's the routine I I presume Anywho, um, last you said you were very proud of the performance against uh, Monaco. Uh, I would echo that for their performance against Frankfurt, a 3-1 win, um, keeping them within one point of Hoffenheim, of course. Uh, also, just a very impressive performance in general, looking at, at you know what happened on Tuesday and, and yeah, how it looked. To me, that was just a normal Bundesliga match. You know, if if you didn't know what happened, you wouldn't have as- assumed that something happened at all. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, fairly accurate. Um, obviously, Frankfurt in their current form were probably one of the the nicer opponents you could have for for such a game because Frankfurt were winless in nine games, had lost like five of those, so. Or no, lost seven of those, I think. So six, six. Yeah, I mean, I was right, uh, right around the the correct number there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was really a, a relatively normal Bundesliga game, and, and normal Bundesliga games this season for Dortmund mean that they uh, suffer a bit at times. Uh, obviously, the Marco Fabian wonder goal, uh, even though it was deflected from Nuri Shahin. Uh, oh, was it? I never yeah, saw that. Yeah, it was deflected. Um, I mean, that's unlucky, but they could have conceded twice before that. So uh, on balance, they certainly deserve to concede one of those. And then I guess uh, perhaps the goal of the season for Dortmund so far, if you if you like the, the belter from 25 yards better than some intricate passing play then you might prefer the first goal uh, of Royce but the the absolute smasher from uh, Socrates also at an important time in the game because it came relatively soon after the equalizer for Frankfurt and then I think in the second half it was mostly a, just a professional performance not allowing too many chances to Frankfurt I don't think I ever really expected Frankfurt to score a second goal even though uh, Dortmund weren't looking too comfortable at times, but they didn't really concede any uh, huge scoring chances. And then, I mean, the the third goal was all determination of Aubameyang to make such a sprint after what was it, eighty two, eighty three minutes, I think. Eighty six. Eighty six. Yeah. Um, and the the composure that uh, Usman Dembele showed was also really nice to see there because he could easily have done what he does a bit too often and go for the shot himself or dribble himself into a corner but he really picked his head up played the perfect pass to Wamiyang who chipped the goalkeeper and that was it so it was really the second half not a great game of football by any means but really professional performance and I guess we can as you said be also proud of that uh, after what happened during the week because the it would have been easy for them to let their mind slip a bit during the the slower phases of the game and they, they all kept uh, their focus on the on the pitch and that really helped. Yeah. Also, uh, I would mention the the pass leading to the third goal by uh, Shine that was pretty slick, 
as well in, into the path of Dembele. And uh, of course, we uh, have to mention that save by Roman Berkey in the first half on, uh, I think it was Gacinovic. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure the ball would have hit his face, but nevertheless, he deflected it to safety. Uh, awesome reflex. And uh, yeah, Marco Fabian in the first half's miss was uh, probably the, the funniest moment of, of the game. And yeah. Socrates scoring then uh, <laughs> was, was was pretty amazing. I didn't see it coming, and uh, Tuchel said himself, uh, you know, it could have been either a throw or a goal. You never know. But uh, yeah, that that's uh, maybe maybe a good option or weapon to have if you were uh, play against a man marking scheme to just move the three men up the field and and uh, let them score the goal. If if it works always like that. Uh, but I assume it won't just because of variation. But yeah, yeah. it was a fun game. Also, uh, because most teams aren't as stupid as Frankfurt were uh, on Saturday in keeping their men orientations alive throughout the 90 minutes. I mean, uh, I don't really know what Niko Kovac told them to do and if he didn't realize it. But uh, certainly at halftime, they should have changed their approach a bit. Uh, I mean wasn't only Socrates for the goal. I think Pischek moved up all the time. They uh, Dortmund basically played with one and a half centre-backs for most of the game. Uh, and Frankfurt didn't hit them on counter-attacks too many times. So uh, between Pischek moving up, then at times Socrates did as well, especially for his goal. And Bender didn't really uh, dangle too much up front, but Ginter did some in the second half, so it was really an easy strategy for Dortmund and something that I, I can't for my life understand how a Bundesliga team like Frankfurt didn't react to, but I guess it was nice enough of them to uh, make the job a bit easier for Dortmund. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I mean... Uh... You know, there's only so much you can expect. Frankfurt also looked a little bit uh, flabbergasted at times. Uh, I didn't really expect much, but uh, yeah, I I thought you know they could at least show a little bit more resolve in that kind of game given their situation. But maybe you know they've given up on on Europe and whatnot. I don't I don't know what's going on in Frankfurt. To be fair, uh, maybe just their form is just hard, and uh, yeah, they are. Running out of steam. Anywho, um, last, I guess we can talk a bit about Borussia Dortmund's match on Wednesday, where they play in Monaco. You already said uh, it's uh, still possible they grab a 3-1 win and proceed. Uh, I, I would agree. Um, of course, Monaco, um, are super, super quick. Uh, we, we saw that very well that, uh, the likes of Lemar and Silva and, and, and Falcao and of course Mbappé, they are all very, very fast and uh, Dortmund are still. And I'm pretty sure that won't change until Wednesday susceptible against corner attacks. So with that in mind, how realistic do you think, uh, Dortmund, Dortmund's progression is to the semifinals? And, uh, yeah, how do you see the, the home side set themselves up in this one? Yeah, I think uh, from what I understand, Monaco basically always play the same style. It, also, it mostly depends on the availability of Falcao, who uh, most will know isn't the most reliable in terms of his uh, 
health and uh, fitness uh, throughout the season. So they they will at times play with only one striker, but when he's available, they've basically always played this uh, 4-4-2-ish shape uh, with Lemar, Silva, as you mentioned, and Mbappé supporting uh, Falcao. And as you said, those three in particular, plus uh, El Tigre up front, uh, are really dangerous on the counter. They are really swift on the ball. Uh, Bernardo Silva is absolutely amazing. I think he's going to be uh, a megastar in football for the next decade to come. Uh, don't know at which club, obviously, uh, along with Mbappé, who kind of reminds me of the original Brazilian Ronaldo in that uh, he's so uh, he looks so strong, uh, but he's also incredibly quick, has uh, amazing uh, resolve in front of goal. I mean, the way he dispatched the the 3-1 against Dortmund was really something else from an 18-year-old in his first European season. So uh, I think Monaco. Uh, no, obviously they know that one or two goals will probably do the job for them, so I don't expect them to pull a Benfica uh, at home and, and sit deep the the entire game and, and just wait and wait for that one chance. I think they're better than that. They, uh, I think they know or they they consider themselves uh, pretty much on level with Dortmund uh, and with the first leg going their way. I think they are going to play just their normal football. The the question for Dortmund is, uh, can they take their chances well enough? And do they have the, the kind of match luck, the match luck they didn't have in the first leg in that uh, maybe one of those big chances that are sure to come for Monaco gets saved or hits the post or something? I mean, when you're down 2-3 after the first leg and go on the road... Uh, you need that kind of luck. I think I read somewhere today that only five times in the Champions League has a side that lost the home leg uh, gone through to the uh, next round uh, with an away win. So uh, you, you asked how likely it is or how big the chances are. I'd say the, I, I, I'd put Dortmund's chances at reaching the semifinals at maybe something like 25 to 33%, but that's still pretty good after losing at home. So Still very much a fighting chance. Yeah, I give them 20%. I <laughs> think they win or go through one out of five times, which, as you said, is, is still very uh, good. Uh, they have, they have, of course, uh, one player returning to the team. I don't know if, if uh, Mandy is, will, will, he, will be back or CDB is probably still out, but uh, Timo Bakayoko will be back in uh, defensive midfield next to Fabinho. No, uh, no, no. Fabinho is suspended. They will just switch out. Oh, yeah. That's right. Fabinho is suspended. So it's, uh, it's still João Moutinho who uh, very experienced but didn't really impress me in the first leg and seems to have, no, not at all. Seems to have lost uh, his legs over the last few years. And I mean, Fabinho and uh, Bakayoko are an incredible duo because they're both so energetic, but... Uh, with Moutinho next to the other, I think Dortmund's midfield uh, has the upper hand in in that space on the pitch. And I mean, if we talk about players coming back for for one of the sides, we have to mention Marco Reus first and foremost. I think played only 45 minutes against Frankfurt, so he should be good to go for maybe an hour or so against Monaco, and that should make a huge difference, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could already see against Frankfurt how much a difference Royce was. Uh, not only this uh, awesome backheel goal, but uh, especially the gegenpressing or the pressing 
in in general uh, it, it it looked all more coherent uh, you know if you compare it to how how Dortmund's left side looked when Dembele played there uh, it was like night and day so yeah that that's obviously a massive massive boost for Dortmund when uh, Royce is is back and uh, yeah Masic Messer said it after the game that uh, you know he is of course a, a leading character in in the dressing room and also on on the field a very important player and he said himself that uh, it was fun to to play with Royce just because uh, they have such a good understanding you know after playing how many years together and he said you know with uh, Banner Shine and, and Royce on on that one side were basically six seven years of uh, experience and playing together and I'm very proud that uh, Marcel even used that uh, nice word automatism there so well done Marcel <laughs> um, Lars I don't know if I can praise you yet but uh, you will have a prediction for me I hope yeah as I said uh, very much a fighting chance for Dortmund and I think it's going to be close but ultimately uh, the the match luck will not be on their side enough, so I'm saying Dortmund will win, but go out with a 2-1. Yeah, solche Geschichten schreibt nur der Fußball, is what they will write in German in the next day. I say Dortmund will proceed with a 4-2 win. <laughs> it'll, it'll be a crazy game. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Anywho, Lars, uh, thank you very much for joining me and uh, discussing uh yeah those very very difficult matters certainly wasn't the most uh yeah or the, the best podcast to ever have considering the the topics we had to discuss nevertheless it was fun to do it with you so uh yeah i don't know if you will be back next week but for the meantime you can uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet so i'm not in the picture even for thursday am i stefan no, I'm, I'm, I just don't know if you're available or not. Yeah, because you said next week and we have one this week coming. Oh, that's where I meant this yeah. Thursday. Anyway, uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've, I, I've been a little bit distracted here because I'm uh, watching Arsenal draw against Middlesbrough on the side. So, um, yeah. Anywho, you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find my written stuff on ESPNFC. You can find and get in touch with the yellow wall on yellowwallpod.com at yellowwallpod on twitter and facebook uh, if you want to subscribe to our podcast you can do that on itunes soundcloud and stitcher and uh yeah that would be all until next no, 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 thursday no, Stefan, this is not all we have to thank our beautiful listeners for contributing to our patreon page at uh at the yellow wall we are as i'm Looking at it right now, just eight bucks short per month of returning the B4B fans from around the world segment, which is a personal favorite of mine and that I'm pretty sure of many who are listening right now. So thanks to everyone who has already contributed and maybe we can get over the hump with those eight bucks and return with some interesting stories from all over the world, huh? Yeah, that is very true. I was actually just uh, taking a break on, on the Patreon commercial commercialization of the yellow wall pot uh you know because i i didn't feel like giving shout outs at the start of the show considering what kind of topics we will have we will do that of course this thursday um in the meantime you can look out for new collector's cups uh thanks to my girlfriend we 
have some new in stock. I think Batra and Aubameyang are in there as well. So, uh, yeah, if, if you, if you want to get them, look out for our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And yeah, finally, that would be all until next week. Goodbye.